Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 6, the Toronto Blue Jays 5. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And another fun baseball game last night in the rain, in the mist of Lake Erie. Uh, Yeah, it's a nasty weekend right now in Cleveland. It's raining again today. We'll see if they actually get the game in or they're forced. Hey, Sunday's going to be beautiful. If they can get it in, play another doubleheader on Sunday. It's going to be a great Cleveland spring day. Um, But yeah, on on a wet, wild night down on the shores of Lake Erie in downtown Cleveland, the Guardians come up with a win against a really good baseball team. And they beat their ace who... You know, for whatever it's worth, in the in the pregame warmups or in the highlights, the you know Toronto announcers were like, "Hey, Barrios is is pitching better, pitching better every time out." Well, he did not have a good game against Cleveland in this one. So uh, the Guardians get the win against a, one of the best teams in the American League, which is nice to see. After right, we take the huge sweeps to the you know sweep losses from the Yankees and the Angels, two of the elite teams in the American League, you think, okay, maybe this is a team that just can beat up on the, on the little guys in the American League, right? Maybe we're just, we're destined to beat the Oakland, Baltimore, Detroit's maybe, but when it comes to the big dogs in the league, you know, maybe, maybe we won't be able to match up with them. Well, here we go toe to toe with the Toronto Blue Jays and we fall into a hole. Even we fall into a two nothing hole. But we come storming back with six uh, runs in the third, fourth, and fifth innings to take this ball game. All right. Yesterday, I made you wait. I made you wait for dessert. Today, we're starting with dessert. We're diving right in to that cupcake, that big bowl of ice cream, whatever you choose for dessert. Stephen Kwan's home run. That is the top storyline of this game. Uh, it's going to be the offense is the top storyline, but we're kicking off with Stephen Kwan. And in the third inning, he comes up and he delivers a two-run home run into the seats in right field. Let's see what the exit velocity was on this one. I know it was a hard hit ball. It was 99.5 mile per hour exit velocity, 371. It only had a 680 expected batting average. That's probably park factors and stuff like that because it did land right on top of that right field wall. A kid got it. I, I don't know. You immediately saw, because they hung on him for a second, you saw like the guy next to the dad go, you know they're coming for that ball, right? Like You, you should be ready right now. Start thinking about what's going about to happen because they're coming for that ball. So they got Stephen Kwan his home run ball back. It, they took another shot. I didn't realize it at the time. I'm like cooking dinner, and I'm like, why are they hanging on this family just like standing in the aisles of progressive field? And then after watching the highlight, I realized, oh, that was the kid that caught the ball. Clearly, they were whatever they were talking about on the broadcast at that point. I had it muted, uh, and uh, clearly they were talking about that kid, you know, receiving something for that ball. Uh, I know we all have in our head what we would ask for, right? If we caught a really important one, now a guy's first home run ever—that's not a huge one, right? And maybe I'd, you know, I'd give that back for like an autographed jersey and forty bucks to the team shop, but. If it's a big one, like if I'm catching someone's 500th home run or something like that, I've got a list in my head. I, I've got some things I would request from the team. Uh, it would start with, I want the full like the full warm-up outfit. I want the jacket and the pants and the hat and the shirt, you know, the, the athletic apparel that they basically give all the guys in their locker when they sign up with the team. I want that outfit. 
So when I go out there on the town, I look like a Guardians, a real Guardians fan. Um, so yeah, anyways, let's get back to the real baseball here. Steven Kwan hits his first home run in his major league career. Now, it's not like Kwan doesn't know how to hit a home run, okay? He's not one of those guys. He, uh, he hasn't, frankly, he hasn't played much in the minors. But last year, he did split between Akron and Columbus. He did put together 12 home runs total on the minor league season last year. So he's not a complete stranger to hitting home runs. But it is his first of his major league career, and the location was interesting, right? The loca- I don't know what his spray chart was like in the minor leagues, but the location of it was interesting here because it's middle in, right? Let's go to this at-bat because it is a long at-bat. He really has to work this at-bat. Um, he gets a changeup over for a called strike and then starts missing away. Uh, throws him a changeup that he misses away with. Wait a minute. No, that wasn't a called strike. That first one? This first pitch, if StatCast is right, I'm sorry. I just flipped over to the, the illustrator view, the correct view. I was trying to stall a little bit until I got to the correct view. This first pitch is a good, like, two feet off the plate. That was a, the first called strike. Either StatCast is wrong or this umpire really made a bad call to start this at bat. Uh, misses with a changeup away. Misses with a four-seam fastball up and away. Comes back with a four-seam fastball. Hits the black, but Quan follows it off. Because, of course, Quan's not going to let you get a ball past him. Throws him a curveball in that he fouls off. This one was off the plate, but he stays alive. Lays off a changeup in the dirt. So now he's got him to a full count. So what does Brios decide? He decides, I can blow this kid away. I'm going to come in with a hard four-seam fastball. The hardest of the at-bat, 94.7-mile-per-hour fastball. It's middle in, though, right underneath the letters, right underneath the hands, and Quan turns on it. Lightning-fast hands. To hit a pitch there, you got to have lightning-fast hands. And watch. I mean, the hands really are the key to this at-bat. Watch the replay back. Those hands flash through the zone. The bat snaps through with it, and he cranks this thing 99.5 miles per hour for a home run. Now, looking at this location, when I pull up Stephen Kwan's individual illustrator page, his average exit velocity from pitches middle in are 78.7 mile per hour exit velocity. Up and in, 81.2 mile per hour exit velocity. This is in the strike zone still. This isn't, this isn't in the dead zone or, or outside the strike zone. This is in the strike zone. So 78.7 and 81.2. The ball would probably would have been considered right in the middle of those two zones. Um, right on the line of the tic-tac-toe board here that is the strike zone. So yeah, so that is not his hard hit spot. Now, no coincidence, the hardest hit spot in this is right down the center of the plate, 92.5 mile per hour exit velocity. But even the outside, middle outside, 89.2 mile per hour exit velocity. It is slightly above, if the blue and red are indications, that is slightly above league average, even for outside middle. Um, So yeah, so that's kind of where he tends to really drive the ball and strike the ball, not on this inside part of the plate. And if we look at other things, we look at batting average and things like that, middle in, he's hitting 200. Up and in, he's hitting nothing, zero. Um, But bottom of the strike zone, he's definitely hitting there. Outside strike zone, he's definitely hitting there. In fact, he's in the, I mean, deep red, meaning he's got one of the highest batting averages for middle away 
for down and away, for down and in, those he can handle. But that spot, middle uh, middle in and up and in, that is not a high batting average zone for Stephen Kwan so far this season. So maybe, you know, maybe that was in the scouting report that when you got this guy down, you can come up and in on him. You can challenge him in and Barrios pays for it right here. So a great job by Kwan to get that home run there. And I mean, what a huge moment. Like, didn't that just feel great watching him round first base? He was fired up. Hedges, who was on second base, the other guy who scores on the two-run home run, he's fired up. By the way, Hedges, who advances to second base on one of the weirder um, pass balls, you know, wild pitches, you'll see because Hedges wasn't, it was like he wasn't expecting a throw. He, like, gets to second base and, like, throws his hands up almost like like the ball's going to hit him in the head or hit him in the back, right? And he's trying to play a little defense against that. So, it was really strange because nobody was covering second base. Uh, so he doesn't slide. Uh, so it was a really, it's just a bizarre highlight watching him go into second base. Uh, it's, it's clearly a guy that doesn't steal bases very often. But then Quan delivers the big home run. And yeah, the whole team's fired up. The whole, he even said in post game, like the guys have been so, the locker room has been so supportive, so behind him. And that helps. I mean, that's the atmosphere. That, you know, your leader, Jose Ramirez, and some of the other guys from Meal, Naylor, that's Hedges, definitely. That's the atmosphere that they've created. They've created an atmosphere where the young guys come up and they immediately become part of the family. And they feel supported. I mean, that's huge for a young guy like Quan to say that. Um, Hedges, with pregame, was getting interviewed and said something similar in the bullpen, basically, like Shaw and Ghost, uh, who are the two veterans out there. I know Ghost isn't a pitching veteran, but he's been in this game for a long time. And they've kind of taken all the young guys out in the bullpen under their wing and created an atmosphere, uh, a real positive atmosphere out in the bullpen. So the clubhouse under Terry Francona has always been, uh, it seems like always been a pretty good place to play. So Quan's big home run kicks off the scoring, but that would not be the only scoring. Uh, they would scratch across another run in the fourth this time, back-to-back singles from Fermil Reyes and Andres Jimenez. And then Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Reyes was going on the pitch. I don't know if it was a hit-and-run or if Reyes just thought he could get a jump. He will do that. Reyes, if he catches a pitcher sleeping, will try to steal a base. And he goes first to third. And then Ahmed Rosario chops one to second base. Uh, almost beats it out, but it goes for an RBI ground out. So that's huge. And then the fifth inning, they really start to have some fun. Miles Straw pulls a double down the left field line with one out. Quan would walk after Jose Ramirez would line out at 97.8 miles per hour. Hey, sometimes those go through and sometimes they go right into someone's glove. Naylor would deliver an opposite field single. He would shoot one down in the left field. And this is where we start having some fun. We start hitting the ball the opposite way, and we did that a lot in this game. This pitch that Naylor hits in the fifth inning here, and let me head over to the illustrator for the batters. Um, this pitch that Naylor hits, it is, I'm talking two feet off the plate. Unbelievable. It was a little, little check swing, little protect swing, and he just shoots it down the left field line. Um absolutely unbelievable he would actually do that twice in this game he would do it again in the seventh inning uh so yeah and this is not an 0-2 count so he's just protecting here and uh just pokes it down the left field line and then uh Andres Jimenez would also beat the shift 
Um, he would also shoot one in the left field and be the second time he did that. He would do that in the, to score that one run in the fourth inning. So Andres Jimenez would then follow up Josh Naylor's uh, single. Vermeil Reyes would single. He would rocket one up the middle, which would bring in Quan to score from third. And then Andres Jimenez would double, which would bring in Josh Naylor to score. Uh, Ahmed Rosario would walk to load the bases. Palacio, unfortunately, grounds out to end the threat. But uh, Andres Jimenez going to the opposite field twice in this game is really huge. Um, They were shifting on him. They were shifting on Andres Jimenez like he was a dead pull hitter, and he burned him twice. First, he gets that single. Um, He gets that single on a pitch way outside, a a changeup outside uh, that he shoots just past whoever's, I don't know if it's the third baseman or the shortstop that's left on the left side of the diamond, but he shoots it right past him, and with Reyes running, goes first to third. And then that double that he hits, it's a curveball on the outside edge, and again, he shoots it in the left field. Now, I went back and looked at the illustrator for Andres Jimenez, and yes, he does tend to, at least this season, he's pulled most of his singles, but he has hit the ball to the left side. He has hit plenty of ground balls to the left side. Um, and then if you start adding in the other years, 2021 and 2020, it seems like, yeah, he does favor his pull side a little bit, a little bit, but not a so drastic that I'd shift so hard over, I guess. I don't know. Maybe the illustrator just has me messed up here, but it looks like his singles are pretty much spread out across the field. Isn't his doubles, too? Now, most of his home runs have come to the pull side, but singles and doubles seem pretty spread out. Um, yeah, he does pull a lot to second base. Yes, that's true. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd be shifting this hard against Andres Jimenez and then pitching him outside, by the way. I mean, if you're going to shift that hard, you might as well pitch the guy inside and encourage him to pull it into the shift. Instead, uh, everything that he put in play yesterday... Uh, even the fielded out in the second inning were all pitches away. So interesting there to Andres Jimenez, Josh Naylor going the opposite way, Austin Hedges at one point in this game. And let me go back to their spray charts here, make sure I catch everybody. Um, Austin Hedges at one point shoots one through a very weakly hit ball that he shoots through the uh, the right side, and uh, they have a good laugh. He had a good laugh with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. once he gets the first base. Palacios gets a single to the opposite field. He shoots one out there in the left field, so he goes opposite way. Fermil Reyes, his first single was opposite way. Speaking of Fermil Reyes, three singles on the day. I think it was a great day for Fermil Reyes. I know you want Fermil Reyes to hit home runs, but I wonder if they had a conversation. It's like This is one of those things that I have no access. I have no idea what changed on this day for Fermil Reyes, but didn't it look like he stopped trying to hit home runs and started just trying to hit the ball? Just hit the ball. Let the bat do what it wants to do. Let it make contact with the ball, and good things could happen. And especially with his strength, he doesn't even have to try that hard to hit a hard-hit ball. Right? So I wonder if... I have no idea if that's Valeka's influence or if that's Fermil Reyes just getting frustrated, if that's somebody else had a talk with him. You know, does Jose Ramirez sit down with him and go... Look, you'll hit home runs eventually. I wonder if this is Vileka's influence. You'll hit home runs eventually. You will. 
start putting the bat on the ball. Stop trying to lift the ball. Start just trying to put the ball out there in the grass and see what happens. And he ends up with three hits on the day. He shoots one through to the right side in the uh, second inning, pulls a hard hit ball, 98.9 mile per hour exit velocity through the left side for a single in the uh, fourth inning to get that rally going in the fourth inning. And then an RBI hit shooting it up the middle in the fifth inning. Uh, It was only 85.6, but it was square. It was a square shot right up the middle, a nice line drive that whatever, one hop, two hops, the center fielder. And uh, yeah, those are big hits from Fermil Reyes. I I want productivity. That rally in the uh, in the fifth inning there to score those three runs, that's huge. That's huge. I'll, I mean, as much fun as Quan's two home run home run was, uh, that's a huge inning for the Guardians right there to put across three runs, to have that many guys come to the plate, that many hits in an inning. Uh, they out hit Toronto on the day, 11 hits to nine. So huge offensive day for the Cleveland Guardians. Definitely the top storyline there. The offense would get quiet after that, and they would kind of ride that six runs to the end of the ball game. But a big job in the middle of this game by the Guardians offense when they start the game down. And that leads us into our next storyline, which is Aaron Savali. And I went back and listened to the last episode because I know we talked in depth the last time Savali pitched. It was game 20 on the season. We uh, we talked in depth about good Savali versus bad Savali. We went back and looked at a game from 2021 where he was fantastic. And we kind of compared what was the difference there. And one of the things was velocity. And the velocity seemed down. Well, I'll tell you, I listened to the numbers uh, that I was giving you while I was looking at the numbers from last night. And the velocity hasn't really improved. So, um I can't say that that changed anything in this game, but uh, he, the pitch mix and the location were a big difference in this one. They do say his velocity was slightly up, slightly up on all his pitches for his yearly average. So that's good to see. The fastball was a mile per hour faster than his yearly average so far. So that's nice to see out there, but he didn't throw many of them. He threw 10 of them. So, you know, not much. He was relying mostly on the curveball and the cutter. Through the curve 32 times, through the cutter 32, 30 times, and for good reason. I mean, he got 53% whiff rate on that curveball, uh, a 38% CSW total, and got six called strikes on that cutter, a 33% CSW on that pitch. It's only a 29% CSW total, but on the two main pitches, that's a good solid CSW number right there. Um, and location. Location was hugely important for him on this day. Um, he was in the last game when we talked, you know, game 20, we were talking about how wide he was. He was missing in, he was missing away, glove side, arm side, it didn't even matter. He was really spreading out those pitches. That great game in 2021, everything was tight to the plate. Everything was vertical up and down the plate in, in the strike zone or up and down on the strike zone. That's what he did kind of here in this game against Toronto. Everything is much tighter to the plate. Sure, there's inside pitches and outside pitches. There's a few. But the majority of these pitches are on the plate or dropping below the plate. And that shows that the command was back for Aaron Savali. Tons of curveballs down, keeping it down, that splitter down there. And then pounding the strike zone with the cutter, the two-seamer, the four-seamer, 
all his different fastballs, really pounding the strike zone, especially with that cutter. So that is huge to see from Aaron Savali. He got the location back, and it turned into a lot of strikeouts. My God, all the strikeouts in this game. Uh, he gets them mostly swinging, by the way. Mostly swinging. Some of them are cutters up, and then a bunch of curveballs, frankly, on the plate. He wasn't messing around. He wasn't trying to get him to chase. Only one of the four strikeouts on curveballs was actually outside the zone. I got Matt Chapman to chase outside the zone. But he just gets Espinal to swing through one in the strike zone. This was the foul tip at uh, in the second inning. He gets Tapia to swing through one uh, at the bottom of the zone. He gets Grayel to swing through one at the bottom of the zone. And then the cutters. He gets four strikeouts on cutters. He gets Gurriel to chase a cutter way, way off the plate. Uh, Gets Zimmer on a full count with a runner on third. This was a runner on third and nobody out, by the way, in the fifth inning. I mean, he walks a tightrope in that fifth inning with a runner with a double that starts the inning. Moves up to third base, then blows one by Zimmer. Gets a, a ground out to second base with the infield in. By the way, are the Guardians the best defense with the infield in in all of baseball? Doesn't it, I, there's no stat I could possibly find to quantify this. But it doesn't feel like every time they pull that infield in, the second baseman is just swallowing up everything. Um, so yeah, he gets Zimmer to strike out on a high cutter on a full count. Gets Zach Collins looking, the lefty looking on a cutter on the outside of the zone. That one would be important. That's important right there. We'll get back to that one. And then uh, gets Tapia to chase one, a cutter off the plate on the arm side on a full count to end the third inning. So yeah, and that's a swinging strike there. So really good job with the cutter at the high cutters and the low curve balls uh, and a lot of swinging strikes. And yeah, uh, sometimes when you challenge hitters, it does not work out in your favor. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you give up a two-run home run to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I could say that most of the American League has probably given up a home run to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Where does he leave this pitch? This was a sinker two-seamer that he left middle in, and Guerrero absolutely turns on. It was the first pitch of the at-bat. He's trying to get one past him, and I just, I don't think you're ever going to want to challenge Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on a first pitch. He hits this 105.3 miles per hour uh, to left field, to the souvenir shops or the whatever ice cream stand, whatever's right there in the corner of left field. Um... Yeah, absolutely destroys this baseball. But Savali bounces back from it. He strikes out that side in the first inning. I believe that was all on curveballs in that first inning. So Savali does bounce back from this. And uh, that was huge to see from Aaron Savali. They talked about in pregame that the slider, he tried a new slider during the offseason And it was like messing him up. It was messing up all his other pitches. I don't know if that's had as big of an effect as Carl Willis in that pregame interview led on. I mean, because not that I'm questioning the decision of Carl Lewis, you know, the the judgment of Carl Lewis or his conversations with Savali, but Savali hasn't thrown that pitch that much on the season. I mean, it's his least thrown pitch on the season. So how much of an impact has that had on his first few starts? And he didn't, uh, you know, not throwing it that much in this game. Does he even throw it at all? He threw it three times. Didn't even get a strike on it. No swinging strikes, no called strikes on it. Uh, nothing. Uh, but went to it three times. Um, so, yeah, so he still used all six of his pitches. But definitely the curve and cutter were his main weapons of attack on this one. 
So it's a great game from Savali. He gets out of that fifth inning. Francona felt like the runs in the sixth inning were a little bit his fault, that he left him in there a little too long. Bo Bichette leads things off with a single. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is hit by the pitch. Um, so it's not a great start to the sixth inning already. Uh, Sandlin would come in and have to save him from this one, but Savali would get two outs. Um, going back over to the scoreboard here, let's see how the rest of the inning played out. He strikes out Guriel. He gets Chapman to fly out, so he might get out of it, but then Zach Collins comes up. Remember I told you that Zach Collins got one, uh, a cutter on the outside edge that absolutely locked him up, couldn't swing at it, strikes out looking. Well, going to this at-bat here between Savali and Zach Collins in the, uh, what inning did I say we were in? The sixth inning. Um, it's a cutter again, but this time it doesn't reach the outside part of the plate. It's on a, uh, it's on a full count. He had just followed off a curveball away. They go back for the cutter now. He had thrown him three curveballs in a row, and they're going back for the cutter. He threw mostly cutters and curves to the lefties. Um, and this one, I'll tell you, Austin Hedges sets up away. Sets up on the outside edge. He wants that same pitch that they struck him out with earlier in the game, and instead he comes up and in with it. Comes up and in on the plate, middle, oh, just shading right of the middle of the plate, at the letters, and Collins turns on it, hits it into the corner, past a diving Stephen Kwan. Kwan felt like if he was a li- he joked that if he was a little bit taller, he probably comes up with that catch. Um, to me, just something, you could just see when a guy breaks for a ball that the angle's just not going to be there. I can't tell you what it is, but if I'm Collins, I'm yelling to everybody to run. That that ball's, I mean, it's two outs, so they're running anyways, but I you could just feel it sometimes that a guy either has the line on your ball or doesn't have the line on your ball. And it just felt like Quan wasn't going to get there. It just, from the crack of the bat, as soon as they cut to that high home camera, I'm watching the angle. I'm watching the speed Quan's running at. He's giving it everything he's got. And you just felt like he wasn't going to get there. I something, something you see enough outfielders going for balls and you just start to get a feel for when they're just not going to get there. And Quan gives it everything he's got, but can't come up with the catch. It was very close. Uh, but Savali missed on that location. Absolutely missed the catcher, missed his location, and Collins makes him pay on a cutter that he struck out looking at earlier in the game. So I think I think that's uh, no coincidence there, right? No coincidence that Collins gets that same pitch later in the game that misses location this time, and he's ready to do something with it. All right, so that was everything going on with Aaron Savali. By the way, when you look at those strikeouts, uh, Jose Barrios didn't have any. In four and two-thirds, uh, gives up eight hits, the six runs, one walk, no strikeouts from Jose Barrios. This is a guy, Jose Barrios, who strikes out a lot of guys for his career. Barrios is averaging nine strikeouts per nine innings. That's a lot, and to not get any strikeouts uh, when facing the Guardians in his career, because obviously he's faced the Guardians a lot of times in his career, um, being in the uh, American League Central Division for a long time with Minnesota. Um, he's average. Let's see what the number is here. Uh, he was averaging 8.7 strikeouts per nine against Cleveland hitting for his career. 
and to come up with no strikeouts in this one. He was 5-3 and three with a 3.72 ERA in 15 starts against us. Now, a baseball reference never has things updated in the morning. So now that he's had 16 starts against us, I don't know exactly where that ERA is at now. But he is 5-4, and four, I can tell you that. And those uh, 8.7 strikeouts per nine are definitely coming down because Barrios didn't get one strikeout of Guardians hitters. I, I was shocked when I opened up the box score and realized that. Like, we were all over him all night long. So a great game from the Guardians. Savali, I mean, yeah, Francona puts those last two runs on him. Felt like he left him in there too long. Could have gotten him out when things started to go south in that sixth inning. He almost gets out of it. Uh, Sandlin would come in, would give up a solo home run uh, in the next inning. Uh, on a slider that, frankly, was right there. A nice, fat meatball for Alejandro Kirk to hit. And he delivers it out to left field for a home run. But Sandlin would get through the seventh inning. Shaw comes in and pitches the eighth inning. I don't know if there's a situation where other guys weren't available. I think they said Trevor Steffen wasn't available in this one. Pitched too many days in a row. Uh, you know, a lot of guys got used in that doubleheader. So Shaw comes in and he gets through the eighth inning, though. Give him credit. He gave up two hard hits, but he got through it. And then Classe shuts the door in the ninth with two strikeouts this time. Goes high with a cutter to end the game. Um, yeah, Classe usually ground ball pitcher, right? But no, he gets two strikeouts in that ninth inning for the save. So another great job by the bullpen to hold things together. Yeah, they ran into a little trouble, but Sandlin gives up the solo home run, makes it a little closer than we wanted to. Uh, but they get the job done. Class A's fifth save on the season. So MVP for the day. Oof. Ooh, do I go with Fermil Reyes with the three base hits? Ooh, do I go with Aaron Savali for finally bouncing back in the eight strikeouts? Actually, you know what? I think I am going to go with Aaron Savali. It was, it was a real bounce back start. It wasn't perfect. In no way was it perfect. Uh, let's see. Do I have an updated ERA? Uh, on Aaron Savali. Is it 9.45? Is that the updated ERA after that start yesterday? Yeah, one and two now with a 9.45 ERA. All right, well, it's coming down a little bit. Um, but the eight strikeouts and no walks. I will take that from Aaron Savali. So gets the win, gets his first win of the season. I was thinking Quan, maybe Quan, but Quan gets it all the time. Come on now. It was awesome to see Quan hit his first home run. Um, but uh, didn't we just give it to Quan yesterday? Yeah, so MVP on the day is going to Aaron Savali for the eight strikeouts and for a really, really good curveball. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Will we play baseball today? I Frankly, I kind of doubt it. If you're a Clevelander, if you're a local, you see what the weather looks like outside right now. It's a nasty, rainy spring day in Cleveland. Uh, but the sun will come out later this weekend. It should clear up for the game tomorrow night. Who knows? Maybe they stay, just hang out, and get this game in late tonight. Maybe they're forced to play a doubleheader later this weekend. Sunday should be gorgeous, so we'll see what happens. Um, all right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's your Guardian 6, the Blue Jays 5. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>